0: Well, good morning. Uh, If you guys have a Bible, open to uh, 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to read from before we start. 1 John chapter 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the Spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we are so grateful to you just for the opportunity to look at your word, for the opportunity to be here to praise you. Thank you for giving us the voices and the bodies and the minds and the hearts to interact with you and with one another. Thank you, God. We thank you for your word and what it has to teach us. We pray you would give us wisdom and understanding as we look at it this morning. Uh, We pray that you would give us discernment from your spirit, Father. We thank you and we pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, All of us at some point in our life have probably turned on the television and uh, run across a faith healer. On TV Somebody who says that they have the gift of healings or some kind of miracles, and uh, often in somewhat dramatic fashion, you'll see them uh, heal other people, perhaps by laying their hands on them, or perhaps by pronouncing some sort of a blessing on them. Uh, and uh, it's often obviously hard to tell if these healings are really happening or not, and what is the nature of what's going on. Uh, but there's a number of these men and women that you'll see on television all the time. Uh, One of the most famous from the 20th century going back uh, to the 1970s and 1980s was a man by the name of Peter Popoff. Uh, Peter Popoff was a uh, German immigrant who became a famous faith healer on the North American continent. and uh, He was particularly famous not just for uh, his healings, but he was particularly famous because he was able to seemingly miraculously, call people from the audience. And he would not only know their name and not only know their ailment, but he would know uh, personal information about them, their address, where they lived, perhaps who their family members were, all sorts of amazing information. And he would speak this information and then he would heal them after that. Well, in 1983, there was a skeptic, a man by the name of James Randi, who attended one of Popoff's. Healing services and Randy brought a radio transmitter in with him. And what uh, Randy discovered was that all of the information that Popoff was receiving about people was not coming from God, but instead it was coming from his wife, who was back communicating to him through an in ear receiver about conversations she had had with people prior to the start of these services. So she would talk to people ahead of time get information about them, and then relay it to him while he was up there, and he would be able then to call it out and pretend to know information. Well, needless to say, it had a negative impact on his ministry. He went bankrupt pretty quickly and uh, disappeared from the scene. There was actually a movie made based upon Peter Popoff in 1992. Steve Martin was in a movie called Leap of Faith that some of you have seen perhaps. And uh, it was a major, big deal. This faith healer was exposed. Now, what's interesting is, in the last several years, Peter Popoff has reemerged. You will see him on uh, late night infomercials, and he sells uh, what he calls Miracle Spring Water. If you buy the Miracle Spring Water, and you drink it, and then send him $27, uh, you will be healed, and there will be blessing on your life, along with the salt packet that he sends you that is magical Dead Sea Salt that will heal you. All right? Uh, He's reemerged. He's making millions of dollars. Now, we hear a story like that, about a man like that, and it makes us skeptical, right? It makes us skeptical uh, when we hear somebody claim that they can perform miracles. When we hear about healings, when we hear about signs and wonders in our day and age, it makes us skeptical. And to a certain extent, I think our skepticism is valid. Uh, The passage that I just read before we started, 1 John 4, the scripture says, look, don't believe every spirit. Just because somebody claims to do something amazing, don't believe them necessarily. There are tests, and the one it mentions in First John four particularly is: does this person proclaim the lordship of Jesus Christ? Do they glorify Jesus Christ? All right. So we can be skeptical of these miracles and these claims, and right, it makes it difficult for us to tell. And we begin to—I know—if you're like me, I ask the question: Does, does God really do miracles at all? Still. These things still happen. And if so, if they do happen, why doesn't he do them more often? Why aren't they happening all the time? And to some extent, these kind of questions really, I think, hit at the heart of the Christian faith because we believe in a God that is active in, in the world. We don't believe, we're not deists in the sense that we don't believe in a God that has just begun a world and then spun it off to do whatever it will, and he just sits back and never intervenes. We believe in a God that at times intervenes in miraculous ways in the world. Uh, The foundation of our faith is the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If God never intervenes in miraculous ways, then the resurrection itself is a sham. So on some level, this question of signs and wonders I think is is significant to us, but on the other hand, we need to figure out how do we discern what, what is God doing in the world in terms of signs and wonders, and if we see one or we seem like we see one, how do we evaluate that? What is the criteria by which we evaluate it? So we're going to look at the Scripture this morning, and I'm just going to ask a few questions for us to answer on the subject of signs and wonders from the Scripture. All right, And the first one is this, a uh, real simple question. What is a miracle? What defines a miracle? I went on to the Internet earlier this week and was just looking around at uh, some of the products that attach the title Miracle to their name, right? uh, you have, for example, Miracle Whip, Miracle Whip, now some of you love Miracle Whip, and it seems to you like a miracle, you place it on your sandwich, it changes the composition and the taste, right, but it's not miraculous, nothing is happening on a supernatural level with your sandwich, right? you have Miracle Grow, you place it on your garden, and it's supposed to make the plants grow, for me personally, if I ever got a plant to grow and stay green, it would be an actual miracle, all right, <laughs> A miracle grow, you have miracle ear. Some of you have seen ads for miracle ear. It takes a person who is mostly deaf, and it amplifies the sound so that you can hear, and it seems like a miracle. There's actually even a miracle perfume called miracle perfume, and it made me think, how bad would you have to smell to need miracle perfume, right? So we use the word miracle all the time. It's tossed around all the time. Uh, People say miracles happen every day. When a baby is born, it's a miracle, Uh, Every day the sun rises, it's a miracle. Well, the deal is, biblically speaking, those are not technically miracles. Biblically speaking, what a miracle is, is when God intervenes in the world in a way that is unusual, that is beyond the natural processes. The word most often used in the New Testament for miracle is the word dunamis, which very literally means power. And the idea is God's power very actively and directly intervening in the world. All right, so a baby being born while wonderful and while special is not, by the biblical definition, a miracle unless it's born to like your 80-year-old grandmother or something like that, or born to, as in the Bible, a virgin, right? Uh, your strange roommate getting a date, that's not technically a miracle, although it might seem like one, all right? You passing your calculus test even though you didn't study, that's not technically a miracle. Instead, a miracle is a supernatural event that is produced without the intermediate processes of the natural world, So some illustrations might be Jesus takes water, and what does he do? He turns it directly from water into wine. Now ordinarily you need grapes, you need a lot of time, and yes, you do need water, but Jesus does it without any of that intermediate process. He turns it into wine. Right? Uh, Jesus raising people from the dead. Ordinarily when people die, they go into a grave, their bodies decompose, and they're dead. Jesus reversing that process is a miracle. Jesus himself rising from the dead. That's a miracle. It goes beyond, outside the natural processes. In the Old Testament, we have God parting the Red Sea so that the Israelites can walk through. Ordinarily, water doesn't do that. And so God performs something that is outside the natural processes. The reason that I want to give us this definition before we start is because often, again, we throw around the term miracle. And so when a skeptic challenges us and says, does God still do miracles? We're tempted to say, oh, every day. All you got to do is look around. The reality is, though, biblically, when we talk about a miracle, it's not an everyday occurrence. If it were an everyday occurrence, the Bible wouldn't make such a big deal out of the ones that do happen. Miraculous means it goes beyond the natural processes, a supernatural intervention of God. So if there are bona fide real miracles, then, of course, the second question is this. What purpose do they serve? Why do they exist? And as we look at the scripture, the primary reason that miracles exist is to authenticate a new message from God. Let me say that again. The primary purpose that miracles exist is to authenticate a new message from God. So let me give you one illustration. When Jesus comes, Jesus, one of Jesus' primary claims is what? That he is the Son of God, that he is the anointed king, the Messiah, who's to rule over Israel, and ultimately that he is God in the flesh. Now, to authenticate that claim, Jesus performs a number of signs or miracles. And if you read the book of John, John is structured in particular around seven major signs that Jesus performs throughout his life. Those signs are not just opportunities for Jesus to show how strong he is. Instead, those miracles very specifically speak to aspects of Jesus' deity and character that let us know what he says matches with who he is. John chapter 20. John writes this, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So miracles act, in a sense, as the authentication of God's message. Think of it as the diploma for the person claiming to have a particular ability, right? You go to a doctor, and you walk into his office, and what do you see on the wall behind him? Multiple diplomas and awards, and certificates, and all kinds of things that validate that this person is skilled to do whatever it is he's going to do to you. I have a friend who just a couple of weeks ago had a big eye surgery, and he looked around and he found the world-renowned eye specialist for a very rare condition that he had. And as he was looking through this, I kept telling him, you know, you could save a lot of money if you just let me do it, right? I've got a little laser here. I can get a uh, pin knife and we'll we'll do it, right? And I'll save you a lot of money. Now, he didn't take me up on my offer. Why? Because I have zero credentials to do such a thing, right? I don't have a medical degree. I have no medical skill or expertise or background. You go to a doctor and you see the diploma. That means they have the training, the authority, the credentials necessary to do whatever it is they're going to do. Likewise, when we look throughout the Scripture, what we see is that Jesus makes a claim, for example, that he is the Son of God. The miracles he performs authenticate that claim. This is why, as you look through the Bible, it seems like miracles are confined to certain periods of biblical history. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but you actually don't see miracles in every single book of the Bible, in every single era of biblical history. In fact, as I look, there are three major groups of miracles that I see in the Scripture. Let me just give them to you real quick this morning. All right, primary groups are this. One is as God is establishing the nation of Israel. Remember, the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, and God had made a covenant to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob that they would inherit the land of Canaan. But now they're in slavery in Egypt, and God's going to lead them out. As you look at Exodus 6 and 7, what you see is God saying, I am going to do many, many signs and miracles so that you will know that I am God. And then in chapter 7, verse 5, he says, I'm going to do these signs and miracles not only so you'll know that I'm God, but so the Egyptians will know that I am God. And so as you follow through the early history of Israel, you have the seven plagues that occur, you have the parting of the Red Sea and then the coming back together of the Red Sea, you have God appearing as a cloud of fire and a, sorry, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud going before and behind them. You have all of these signs that surround the nation of Israel. Now what's interesting is after the nation of Israel is established, throughout the period of the judges, throughout the period of the kings, throughout the period of the prophets, what you really have are intermittent miracles. You have a few people that perform miracles, but you don't see them constantly throughout the Old Testament after this initial period of establishment. All right, another era, of course, is the coming of Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says in John 10, look, believe me, if you don't believe what I say, at least believe the miracles so that you'll know God is in me and I'm doing what I do through the power of God. So again, like we say, you read the book of John in particular, it emphasizes these miracles are done to authenticate Jesus' message. And then the third major era falling right on the heels of Jesus' resurrection and ascension is the founding of the early church. Acts chapter 5, verses 12 through 14 says, As these signs and miracles were being done, every day more and more people were believing in Jesus, So the miracles serve to authenticate the message of the apostles and the prophets. Now what's really interesting about this is uh, as you get to the later New Testament books, uh, books like Hebrews that seem to be written toward the end of the apostolic era, in Hebrews chapter 2, for example, the, the author writes as if the major period of miracles and signs is behind them. The author of Hebrews says these miracles and signs were given to us to attest to the fact that Jesus had come to establish the church. But he doesn't explicitly say they no longer happen, but the implication seems to be the major period of signs and miracles is behind them now that the word of God is given and the church is established, right? So you see major periods throughout the scripture where these miracles serve to authenticate a message. They also, in some cases, serve to give a foretaste of the kingdom. You look at Revelation chapter 21, it tells us there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more sickness. So when Jesus heals a sick person, when Jesus raises someone from the dead, when Jesus provides for our physical needs through a miracle, it reminds us that in his kingdom, there's going to be plenty to eat, plenty to drink, no sickness, no death, no sadness. Primarily what they do is they serve to authenticate a message from God. Now, the question, of course, then is if they're so effective to authenticate these messages, why doesn't God use them just all the time? Why doesn't God just use them all the time? If they're that effective, why doesn't God use them more often? If somebody has the ability and the power to do unbelievable things, right? They're, they're incredibly strong. They have incredible powers. Why wouldn't they use them? I think this every time I watch Superman, for example. Superman has unbelievable abilities, right? Why does he disguise himself as a reporter? You ever wonder that? If I could do these things, I could see through walls. I could fly. Nothing could hurt me except for kryptonite. I can burn things up with my eyes. I can run at the speed of sound, right? If I could do all that stuff, I would never disguise myself. I would walk around so everybody knew everything that I could do. And I would use those powers all the time. I would heat up my lunch with my eyes, right? I would be doing all of this kind of stuff all the time. I would fly to class. I would fly to work. Why would I get in a car and drive if I can fly? And every time I watch the show, I think, why in the world does he do that? right? Some of us think that way about God. If God has all these abilities, why don't we see them everywhere? Why is God not constantly striking down evil people? Why is God not constantly healing people who are sick? Why is he not constantly raising people from the dead or providing all the food that every person in Africa would need to live for the rest of their lives? Why does God not do all of these miracles all of the time, consistently, consistently, as we look at the scripture, what we're going to see is that there are actually some pretty good reasons why God seems to restrain himself and seems to us sometimes to hide. All right, one of those reasons is this, that miracles do not always produce belief. Miracles do not always produce belief. In fact, sometimes what we see is they produce just the opposite. Some of us perhaps have friends who are unbelievers and they say, look, if I just saw a miracle, If God would just speak from the clouds or part a sea or whatever, that would be undeniable proof to me that God exists and I would believe. The reality is, as you look at the scripture, it's just the opposite. Think through the nation of Israel for a moment. Think of all the things that God had done. He, He had rained down these plagues upon the Egyptian people. The people had come out of Egypt into the wilderness. They had walked through the Red Sea. They get to the other side. They begin to hear from God who establishes his law. Moses goes up on a mountain to hear from God. And they can see God's presence from the bottom of the mountain. They can see God's presence. And Moses is up there talking to God. And while Moses is up there talking to God, you know what they do? They say, gosh, Moses has been there for a few days. Who knows if he's ever coming down. Maybe God killed him up there. Uh, Aaron, will you make for us a god? Right? He says, sure. Give me all your earrings, all of your gold. They toss him into a fire, and out comes this little calf, and they begin to worship the calf. Meanwhile, the mountain right next to them is shining with the glory of God. And what we find is that miracles do not produce consistent faith. Instead, the people tend to forget quickly. Right, if you have a Bible, turn for a moment to Psalm chapter 78. I'm going to read a passage to you, Psalm chapter 78, and Psalm 78 is going to talk about the, uh, it calls them the Ephraimites, these are the northern Israelites, another name for those who lived in northern Israel. It says this, starting in verse 9 of Psalm 78, the Ephraimites armed with the bow turned back on the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant, but refused to walk according to his law. They forgot his works and the wonders that he had shown them. In the sight of their fathers, he performed wonders in the land of Egypt, in the fields of Zon. He divided the sea and let them pass through it, made the waters stand like a heap. In the daytime, he led them with a cloud and all the night with a fiery light. He split rocks in the wilderness and gave them drink abundantly as from the deep. He made streams come out of the rock and caused waters to flow down like rivers. Yet they sinned still more against him, rebelling against the Most High in the desert. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? He struck the rock so that water gushed out and streams overflowed. Can he also give bread or provide meat for his people? All right, so they've seen God split the rock. They've seen God split the sea. They've seen God bring them out of Egypt and they go, but maybe he can't provide bread and meat. Miracles do not produce the absolute overwhelming faith that we often think that they would. Jesus tells a great parable in Luke chapter 16 about, uh, it's called the rich man and Lazarus. There's a very rich man who dies and he goes to hell. And Lazarus, the poor man who uh, used to lay at at the rich man's gate and beg, Lazarus goes to heaven. And while the two of them are there, uh, the rich man is calling over to Abraham. And he's saying, Abraham, can you please send Lazarus over? Let him just cool off my tongue a little bit. And Abraham says, no, he can't do that. He says, will you please send somebody back to the world of the living. Send somebody back to my family and tell them about this place so they don't come here because it's terrible. And Abraham says, no, 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 no. Here's what he says. They've got Moses and the prophets. And the guy goes, no, 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 no. But if somebody comes back to them from the dead, they'll believe. Pretty good argument, right? The Bible isn't enough if someone comes back from the dead. You know what Abraham says back in the parable? He says, now, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if somebody comes back from the dead. Miracles do not produce the overwhelming faith that we are tempted to think that they would. Right? Another reason I think God does not use them more often is they can be counterfeited. They can be counterfeited. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 10 says this, The coming of the lawless one, that is the Antichrist, is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved right? So even the devil can counterfeit signs and wonders. One of the great scenes uh, in the story of the Exodus is uh, God sends Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And he says, all right, Moses, cast your your, your staff down on the ground and it will become a snake. So he does it, it becomes a snake. But it says, but Pharaoh has his own little magicians and they do the same thing. Now, how do they do it? We don't know. The odds are good. They put a snake in their sleeve and they got a staff and they did a little trick, right? says, all right, Moses, turn some of the water of the Nile into blood. Moses does it. It says, Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. And what happens is, although God is doing these miracles through Moses, Pharaoh has his own little group of people that say, now here's the natural explanation of what's going on. And they're counterfeiting the miracles. Miracles can be counterfeited. And, and the illustration I gave of Peter Popoff at the beginning, I think illustrates that well. Men and women can pretend to do things that they really are not doing supernaturally at all. And so because of that, I think this is one of the reasons miracles don't produce the faith that we would like them to produce because they can be counterfeited. Another reason I think God doesn't use them more often is simply we have God's Word. We have God's Word. And this is why I think as you get to Hebrews chapter 2, in particular, it seems like the second generation of believers doesn't expect the same number of miracles as the first generation did. And the reason is because they have the Word of God. Let me show you a passage that I think is critical in this regard. Second Peter chapter 2. Peter writes this, For when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. Let me pause for just a minute. So what Peter's describing is the transfiguration. He and James and John go up a mountain with Jesus. And while they're there, Jesus is transfigured before them. He's shining with the glory of God. God's voice comes down and says, This is my beloved son. Moses and Elijah come out of heaven and they begin to talk with Jesus. And then they go back down the mountain. And Peter says, That was pretty cool. That's what we saw. Now, I want you to watch what Peter says next. All right, Peter says this, and we have something more sure, more sure. Wait, Peter, you mean more sure than going up on a mountain and seeing Jesus transformed in all his glory and Moses and Elijah talking. You have something better than that. Peter says, yeah, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Peter says the Word of God is more valuable than any miracle because it is the testimony of what God has done. That's why Jesus says, look, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe a miracle. So why does God not do them more often? I think one of the main reasons is that they are primarily there to authenticate a new message. And then God has placed the revelation of that authentication in his word. And he asks us to trust. Now some have suggested that if you don't see miracles going on all the time in your life, it's because you don't have enough faith. I can distinctly remember sitting with a student a number of years ago, and he said, the reason that some of you are sick is because you don't have enough faith. And if you pray hard enough, God wants everybody to be healed. He does not ever want anybody to be sick. And I said, "Now wait a second. We're all going to die eventually, right? I mean, Paul and the apostles, we don't see them standing here. Eventually, people get sick. People die. He said, yeah, but the reality is that God wants us always all to be healthy. And he wants to heal us. And if you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. Well, is that a biblical concept? Well, there is some biblical evidence that in some cases, Jesus chose not to heal because people lacked faith. In Matthew thirteen fifty-eight, it says Jesus couldn't do a lot of miracles in Nazareth because the people didn't believe. But as you look throughout the scripture, that's not always the case. In particular, 2 Corinthians 12, you see Paul, it says, I have a thorn in my flesh, presumably some weakness or disability in his flesh, in his body. And he says, I prayed for God to remove it, and God did not remove it. I prayed again, God did not remove it. I prayed again, God did not remove it. And God does not perform the miracle that Paul wants. And I go, all right, uh, if Paul didn't have enough faith, I'm in super trouble. The reality is that sometimes God chooses not to act as we would like him to act because he wants us to trust him. Because he might have something to do in us and through us because of the sickness, because of the circumstances that are not what we want. And if you do not believe that suffering is a critical part of your walk with Jesus Christ, you need to go back and read your New Testament again. Sometimes God doesn't perform miracles because that's not the best way for him to act. Now, the question that we started with that I really have not yet gotten to is this. Does God still do them? Does God still perform miracles at all? Or is that time past? The answer to that is there's nowhere in the Bible that clearly says that God no longer performs miracles, that all of those are gone. There, there is nowhere that says that God's work in that regard is done. So I have to believe if God is still God, that he exercises the option if he wants to intervene in a supernatural way, to step into history and decide to do a miracle. I, I, I believe that wholeheartedly, and I think that at times he does. And there are certainly incidents in my life in the lives of those that I know that I go, all right, I'm not sure if that qualifies as a miracle, but it qualifies certainly as a divine answer to prayer in in an amazing way. And I know that there are those that have experienced genuine miracles. So I think God still exercises that opportunity, but I do think we are called to be discerning and to be wise as well as open. So let me give you a couple of biblical tests as we think through signs and wonders, and are they real and do they happen? The first one is very simply this. Does it glorify Jesus? Does it glorify Jesus or does it glorify and exalt the miracle worker? In other words, if I see an individual that claims to perform miracles and then I see people essentially bowing at the feet of that miracle worker or that miracle worker building his own wealth out of a claim to heal other people, then I'm skeptical even before I've checked out the claim. Because biblically, what we read in 1 John 4 is that the miracle and the spirit that we want to listen to is the one that first and foremost exalts Jesus Christ. When you look at the apostles, the miracles that they did were to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Peter never set up a temple to Peter. Peter never came out and said... Uh, I'm the one that you need to listen to and pay attention to. In fact, with Paul, he did a number of miracles in the name of Jesus. There were people that uh, tried to imitate Paul. There's this guy called the seven sons of Siva, and they went around and said, uh, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, we want to be like Paul, uh, demons come out. And you know what happened? The demons got together in these people, and they beat the tar out of the seven sons of Siva. There is a guy named Simon that followed Peter and John around and tried to buy the gift of healings from them, with money. And he was cursed. It's Acts 8. What we see is that biblically, people who attempt to uh, enhance their pocketbook or enhance their reputation through utilizing the Spirit of God to perform miracles were not to listen to them, even if it seems real. So does it glorify Jesus? Secondly, uh, is it decent and orderly? 1 Corinthians 14 talks about things like the supernatural gift of tongues and even healings and prophecy. And it says they're to be done in turn in an orderly way, not 500 people talking at once where no one can understand. Not everybody prophesying all at one time where nobody can understand. Is it done in a way that is decent and orderly and in conjunction with the principles of Scripture in 1 Corinthians 14.33 in particular says, our God is a God of peace, not confusion." So does it glorify Jesus? Is it done in a way that's decent and orderly? The thing we need to keep in mind is not every miracle is of God. And again, going back to Acts 8, it says Simon was this guy. He was a great guy. Everybody was following Simon because he seemed to be able to do these great deeds. And so when he, when he believes in Jesus and he sees that the apostles have these signs and wonders, he tries to pay him off to get it. And he's cursed. Not every miracle comes from God. And so we need to be wise and discerning. My challenge to you as we close is this. Uh, first of all, I, I believe wholeheartedly that God still exercises the option to do whatever he wants, but I also believe uh, we, like Jesus, encourage us to be. We need to be shrewd as serpents, yet gentle as doves. Right? We need to test the spirits. We need to pay attention to what's going on. So let me ask just a couple of questions. One is this. Is God's word my final authority? All right? If I see somebody claim a miracle or a sign or a wonder, do I go back and I look at the word of God, and I say, does this line up with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Does it line up with what I know about God's character? Is this person glorifying God? Go back to the word of God. I want to challenge you, please, 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 do not believe that this is somehow inferior to some experience that you had, or a friend of yours had, or a miracle they seem to say, seem to have. Because Peter says, this is even better than the shining glory of Jesus Christ that we saw with Moses and Elijah standing right there. It's, it's more sure. It's more trustworthy. Because it came through the prophetic word given by God. Is God's word your final authority? Right. Secondly, am I open that God may act, but also discerning? Right. There may be a few of you in here that you're just skeptical of any miracle at all, even the ones in the Bible. Right. And if that is you, if you have not believed in Jesus because you're skeptical of that, my challenge to you is go read the scripture, talk to some people who have read it and studied it and asked, is it, is it reasonable to believe that there's a God who intervenes in the world? And I, I believe there is. Right? And our faith is founded on, on a miracle. The bedrock of our faith is ultimately the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we have a Savior, the Son of God, who died for our sins in our place because we disobeyed God. He took our punishment, and then he rose again so that we can have eternal life. That is the gospel we believe in him we have eternal life if you've not believed that my challenge to you this morning is examine the claims of jesus christ in the scripture see that god is calling you to believe if you have let me challenge you be open yes to god's work but be discerning don't believe that every experience every claim every seeming miracle is of god but instead go back to the word of god and make it your final authority would you guys pray with me our god we thank you so much for your word we are grateful for it and for what it has to teach us. Father, we pray that we would be wise and discerning, um, but we would also be open to the fact that you are still very much alive and you still very much operate supernaturally in our world. You, at the very least we know, perhaps the very most we know, is that you, you change the hearts of sinful, wicked men and women if we exercise faith in you. So Father, please forgive us for the times like the Pharisees that we've craved a sign just to satisfy our own curiosity or because of our own unbelief. But instead, Lord, allow us to trust the word that you've given. Know that it is sufficient even if you never show us a miracle. But also to be open to the fact that you can still work in any way you choose. Thank you again for your word. Father, we love you. And we pray be with us this week as uh, we prepare to finish up this year. I pray for each student. They would study well, prepare well. I pray finals would go wonderfully, Father. And I pray even beyond that, as they go into the summer, you would prepare them and equip them to go wherever they're going and be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. I pray all of this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all have a great week.